Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. It's raining in much of Western Oregon right now, a welcome respite from heat and smoke. But as we all know, the fires and heat waves are only expected to get worse in the coming years. There are big questions about what that's going to mean for livestock. After the devastating fires of 2020, Jennifer Cruikshank, an assistant professor and dairy extension specialist at Oregon State University, banded together with other academics in Oregon and Idaho. They created an online resource hub to gather and share information about the effects of wildfire on cattle. Jennifer Cruikshank joins us now to talk about it. Welcome to the show. Oh, good day. What went through your mind in September of 2020 when wildfire smoke from a huge east wind blanketed most of Western Oregon? Well, I think like everyone else living here at the time, it was um, it was startling and disturbing. Um, and I had dairy farmers contacting me with you know questions about is this uh, you know how how is this affecting the cows? How is it affecting the cows? And uh, I had to say I didn't know, so I went looking in the the research literature and found that nobody knew. Um, so this wasn't an area that uh, had been investigated. And 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 I my saying I don't know was like we generally don't know, um, so that certainly triggered um, some interest in in pursuing investigation into the effects of wildfire smoke on livestock health and productivity. It's actually a surprise to me. I mean that that was unprecedented in Oregon f- for some specific reasons, but it's not like wildfires haven't been a serious issue in in huge swaths of the West for decades. Why do you think there has been such a gap in academic knowledge about this? Um, I really, I really don't know. I was, I was startled. I really thought there would be, you know, because especially in California, and they've got a large dairy industry there, and um, there was a, a little bit of research out of Australia because, of course, they've had some really serious issues with wildfire there, but really there was nothing. And when you went looking for, you know, search terms of of, of smoke and animals, you came up with a lot of studies about um, giving mice lit cigarettes, um, huh. and that was kind of the extent of it. And then what we know out of the the literature on on human health and wildfire smoke, but there was really just this gaping hole and. Um, I think uh, certainly something to move into and and get some answers. So, and it's only been three years, which is not a, a huge amount of time. For and often, the 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 um, the wheels of academia can turn slowly. But what have you been doing to try to fill in those gaps? So, as you mentioned, I work with um, colleagues uh, at Oregon State University and also the University of Idaho. Um, And so we've um, secured some funding, which of course is a really important step in getting some grants to support um, any sort of research work. So our our Idaho colleagues had done um, an earlier study where they were looking at um, the effects on dairy cow production um, with wildfire smoke exposure, you know, natural wildfire smoke exposure. And um, they, identified a, a reduction in milk production of three to nine pounds, which just for reference, uh, one gallon weighs 8.6 pounds. 
Um, so depending on um, circumstances, that could be pretty substantial drop in production. But I've also had producers anecdotally tell me that they hadn't really, you know, with pretty severe um, smoke exposure, smoke events, they hadn't seen much drop in production. So I think we've got a lot to learn about um, about which cows specifically are affected, you know, are there certain ages, are there certain stages in lactation that are more sensitive? Um, we've got a lot to learn about our calves more sensitive to smoke exposure than older animals. So there's a lot we still don't know. Is the thinking that dairy cattle are more susceptible in general than beef cattle to exposure to, to smoke? Or is that one more question that's, that's st still in the unanswered pile? That's certainly one more question in the unanswered pile. And and given um, kind of how our, our cattle industries are structured in the state geographically, um, where we've got a lot of beef cattle in central and eastern Oregon, they're probably getting more smoke exposure on average um, than the bulk of our, our dairy cattle who are concentrated a little bit more on the western side of the state. Um, although we've got some dairies down in the Grants Pass area and... <laughs> Those those cows get a lot of smoke. Hmm. Um, so uh, it's, and again, that really kind of, it's an excellent question, and we really don't know at this point. Um, what, what I can say is that cattle, given the anatomy of their lungs, um, have the potential to be more susceptible than some other species um, to with um, like particulate matter um, getting deep into the lungs and not being able to be cleared very well. Um, so there is some evidence just based on their anatomy to suggest that cattle have the potential to have to suffer greater effects than maybe some other livestock species. You mentioned um, some data, early data uh, about drops in milk production. That seems like a, a very chartable piece of data. I mean, you have mm -hmm. X many gallons, but but obviously we're talking about, in some cases, um, much more complex systems than, than, and, and bits of data than just how many gallons of milk is a particular cow producing. How else do you study the effects of wildfire on, on dairy cattle, of wildfire smoke? Yeah. So in, in all of the studies that, that we've got um, going on now and that we have mapped out for the next several years, um, a, a common factor in all of those will be um, doing blood draws on all of these cows and um, from uh, the blood looking at the profile of, of white blood cells um, and red blood cells, um, along with looking at markers um, of metabolism and then also stress and immune function markers in the blood. So that's a really a common technique that we're applying across the board in all of our studies. Um, in some of the studies, we'll be taking additional tissue samples um, from animals and, and looking at cell populations and, um, in the respiratory tract and also looking at some changes in um, in, in gene expression. So really kind of drilling down at getting a better understanding of what the smoke is doing at the physiological level. So, I mean, obviously there are still a lot of things you're hoping to learn, but meanwhile, there have been very smoky days in Oregon this summer as well. I mean, what advice do you already have for dairy producers on days with a high AQI? 
Yeah, so um, at this point, um, we can kind of just offer really basic advice, um, which includes uh, reducing activity um, that the that the cows or other livestock are engaged in. So kind of minimizing exercise, which is really parallel to the advice offered to humans, right? Because um, keeping your activity level down, you you breathe, you breathe less, <laughs> which means that you're pulling in fewer um, uh, particulates. Um, also, um, if you're planning on doing some sort of you've got, you know, on your calendar, um, doing something like weaning, which is removing milk from the diet of, of young mammals, um, that's a stressful event for them. It's a perfectly normal dietary transition, but it is stressful. So if there is a high AQI, maybe postpone that weaning date, you know, off until the um, air quality clears up. Um, similar stressful events like vaccinations or changing um, social groups, which is also a dis disruptor and stressful. Um, maybe postponing that. Um, we want to keep fresh, clean water available, which is always, always important, but it's just extra important in times of wildfire, um, particularly because that often comes with high temperatures. And we want the respiratory tracts to stay really well hydrated because um, they'll get less irritated that way. Um, and along with the heat, always providing um, uh, shade, um, maybe fans and misters to mitigate that heat stress. And really, this kind of comes down to we want to minimize. So we we do understand enough about the effects of wildfire smoke that it is a stressor on, on the animal system. So we want to minimize the other stressors that we may have a little bit more control over. Hmm. You grew up on a small dairy farm in Western Oregon in the Willamette Valley. How much did you and your family think about these issues that we've been talking about so far when you were growing up? Never, absolutely never. Hmm. And and I'm I'm old enough to have grown up when um, when field burning was still a really common practice in the Willamette Valley. So we we actually did have some smoky days, right? That could happen really locally if they were burning a grass seed field somewhere near you. Um, but no, never, never gave it a thought. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking right now with Jennifer Crookshank. She is an assistant professor and dairy extension specialist at Oregon State University. We've been talking about smoke so far, but, but high heat is another very serious and sort of related concern. Is there a preferred temperature range for cattle? Oh, for sure. Um, so, so dairy cattle who are milking, um, they start to feel heat stress over about 70 degrees. So uh, they're generating a lot of heat, um, both uh, because of their digestive system as they're being, they're, they're ruminants. So their um, microbial population in the stomach is, is generating a lot of heat, plus just the whole process of producing large volumes of milk is also heat generating. So when the temperature rises, they really struggle to expel that heat out of the body. Um, so dairy farmers will, um, you know, provide fans and, and misters um, when it gets hot to try and mitigate some of that heat stress. Where we are fortunate in our climate in the Pacific Northwest is that it typically cools off at night. And so then that allows the cows to really kind of release the heat that they've built up over the day. Typically, but that is changing, right? I mean, what happened to livestock during the heat dome two summers ago when temperatures were... Uh, almost 50 degrees higher than the 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 upper comfort zone of dairy cattle. Um, they were suffering a lot and milk production 
it just dropped like a rock. So this is something where producers will tell you that when it gets hot, um, there is a visible drop in the in the milk tank. Um, so when it's hot, cows will eat less. Um, and when they eat less, they're going to produce less milk. How much can dairy farmers do? I mean, I, I'm wondering if fans and misters, I guess I'm just wondering at what point those are simply not enough. Well, certainly in our heat dome event, that it, it mitigates a little, but certainly not to the extent that you need it. Um, and really, there's it's it's a challenge. It's absolutely a challenge. Um, and there are some different barn structures that they've been utilizing a little bit more in the in the Midwest on dairy farms that um, operate a little bit more like a lot of modern um, poultry buildings where they've got large they're enclosed and they've got large fans um, pulling air in on one side and then large exhaust fans on the opposite side. So you get this uh, cross ventilation um, system. And so in the Midwest where they don't have quite the cooling at night, um, those barns are, are can be can be really um, beneficial to the environment for the cows. But in our climate, we mostly have open sided barns. So we're relying a lot on natural ventilation and then the addition of um, of fans or um, or sometimes misters. I've read, speaking of the Midwest, I saw an article recently um, about um, a version of outdoor grazing that provides shade known as silvopasture um, that mm -hmm. some people are thinking more about. Can you describe how that works and, and if that's something that you think you're going to see more of in Oregon? Yeah, so that is one of the challenges of, um, of of a grazing system on a dairy, which certainly has some benefits for the cows. Um, but typically pastures are pretty shadeless places. Um, so that can be challenging because the cows, if, 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 if the whole point of them being out there is to be eating pasture, um, but it's hot, <laughs> they tend not to actually eat very much, um, particularly when in the sun. Um, and you'll see on a, at a, a in hot weather where cows have the option of being in the barn and in eating feed that's provided for them in the barn versus grazing outside in the middle of the day in the summer, they'll oftentimes opt for the barn because of the cooler temperature and the shade. Um, so yeah, silver pasture is a, uh, an option and, um, and increasingly given our, our changing climate an increasingly attractive one of planting tree lines um, at the divisions, major divisions between pastures so that we've got um, trees, which of course you're like grow faster, <laughs> provide more shade to provide some shade for uh, cows that are pastured during the day. What's the biggest question that you hope to have an answer for in the coming years? So is is identifying with the greater understanding in in the physiological effects of wildfire smoke and and additionally heat stress because we've got more to learn there too as well um, is is mitigation um, activities is there something else that we can provide for the cows that can mitigate the effect of the stress of wildfire smoke. Um, so a couple of the things that we're going to be investigating in the next couple of years are trying out a filtering system, um, which again, a big challenge with our large open uh, open sided barns. Um, but but just, you know, hey, if it works, that's that's something that we've learned that may be useful um, and or maybe uh, giving something to the animals um, like electrolytes or possibly anti-inflammatory drugs to see if that can mitigate the effects of the wildfire smoke on their systems. 
Jennifer Cruikshank, thanks very much. Oh, my pleasure. Jennifer Cruikshank is an assistant professor and dairy extension specialist at Oregon State University. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to talk to a former executive of an AI company who says that federal regulation of AI is the only way to keep humanity safe as the technology continues to become more powerful. Our production staff includes Elizabeth Castillo, Roly Hernandez, Gemma DiCarlo, senior producer Allison Frost, and managing producer Shiraz Sadiq. Nalene Silva engineers the show. Our technical director is Stephen Cray, and our executive producer is Sage Van Wing. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by... Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.